0: Welcome to The Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy.
1: This is Greg Hurst, Phoenix Rising striker, and you're listening to The Fan Experience.
2: Welcome to the show, everyone. My name is Niall McCarthy, and we're starting the show out a little differently this week because there's a pressing matter regarding one of our rivals that's deserving of your attention. I'm going to leave it to my buddy, John Morrissey. He's at USL Tactics on Twitter to fill us in on what's going on. John, welcome to the show.
1: What's going on? Hey, happy to be back discussing the news. But unfortunately, I think the big headline this week uh, had to come off the pitch in the form of Orange County SC Stadium situation. On Friday, it became public. City of Irvine was seriously discussing a proposal to give LA Galaxy 2 exclusive tenancy of that facility. Galaxy are based 40 miles away from Irvine right now, but clearly they are trying to extend their reach into a different part of Southern California and cut off the real youth momentum, the community building that Orange County has established as they move LA Galaxy 2 to MLS Next Pro next season. The City Council there will meet to discuss the rival proposals for a tenancy in the facility, but this is a really big deal in terms of Orange County's future and the USL-MLS relationship. It's something to watch for sure.
2: Thanks for sharing that, John. We stand in solidarity with Orange County as they struggle to hold on to their stadium. Listeners, if you'd like to help Orange County Soccer Club in their fight against LA Galaxy, go to orangecountysoccer.com stadium update. John Morrissey will be back with his usual segment of news and results from around the league that matter to Phoenix Rising fans later in the show. Before we get on with the show, I want to give you a heads up about next week's show where we'll take a look at Sacramento Republic FC's historic U.S. Open Cup win over a MLS unit sporting Kansas City. Kelly and I were there to witness history and to get swept up in the excitement and we weren't disappointed. It was an incredible night with a storybook ending that went all the way to extra time and then penalties. We'll be reporting on the game, we'll review Sacramento's F- Sacramento FC's stadium and of course we'll discuss the fan experience which was off the wall. Look out for that in next week's show, episode 69. home, I had a great night at Phoenix Rising's home stadium at Wild Horse Pass this weekend. The game ended in a nil-all draw, but Rising still managed to creep their way up the standings as none of the other teams around us in the standings were able to impress. Teams that were keeping an eye on for the race to the playoffs, they lost or drew this weekend. New Mexico, Los Dos, El Paso lost their games, and Orange County, Colorado, Sacramento Republic and RGV all tied their games. From the entire week, only one team above us in the standings got three points. That was San Diego, who are on a four-game win streak. And yes, San Diego Hate Week is coming soon. September seventeenth. Can't wait next up on today's show we'll have an analysis of that phoenix home game where we took on las vegas lights and following that i'm excited to bring you another phoenix rising fan story this time around our guest is laura richards a longtime rising supporter hearing laura talk about the team reminds me of how much this team means to us as a family as a community i know you're going to love hearing from laura on from that John Morrissey is back with his weekly segment and finally we'll wrap things up with a preview of the next game which is against Orange County in their stadium unless they get evicted before then. In which case I bet on good authority the game will be played on Newport Beach which is just a 40 minute drive from their stadium and we're all invited. Hit me up if you have any ideas for the show. Our email address is thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at fanexperiencefc. And most importantly, enjoy the show. And as you know, it's better when you listen with a friend.
1: This is Niall Dunn, Defender of the Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to The Fan Experience.
2: Phoenix Rising family, on Saturday the 6th of August, Phoenix Rising drew nil all with Las Vegas Lights here in Phoenix. This was the third time we played the Lights this season, and this is the only team we were scheduled to play three times. When the schedule was released back in January 12th, every Rising fan expected three wins against Las Vegas. It didn't turn out that way. Vegas beat us both times we traveled to their home stadium, Cashman Field, and the best we could do against them was last night's draw. I'm delighted to welcome a regular contributor to this podcast kelly mccarthy on to review the game kelly welcome to the show thanks for having me kelly a win in this match could could put us at 31 points in joint eighth place with los dos just outside the playoff bracket so this is an important game for us
0: it's absolutely so critically important. As you mentioned, seeing some movement up the standings is very important as we're headed down the home stretch towards the playoffs, as well as just continuing to build the confidence, not only of the team and how they're feeling, but also of the fan base. We need to keep getting points and keep heading in the right direction.
2: You're absolutely right. Okay, well, let's jump into the game and take a look at the starting 11. In Go, we had Ben Lund. In the left full back spot, we had Darnell King. In the right full back spot, we had Joey Calistri. Our center back pairing was James Musa and Joey Farrell. In the midfield, we had Kev Lambert. We had Aiden Quinn. We had Louis Sejas. Up front, on the left wing, we had Babakar Jai. On the right wing, we had Santi Moore. And in the middle, in the number nine spot, wearing number 99 on his jersey, was JJ Williams.
0: How do you like this lineup? Very happy with this lineup. I think most people were. We heard a post game interview with Rick Schontz, and someone had asked him how he chose a certain player. And he was just like, Did you see the game last week? We crushed it. It was very easy to select this lineup. There were no changes from last week's crushing win over the Colorado switchbacks. So I think notable again this week, as it was notable last week for me, is just that you have Jai playing as a winger. So this isn't the position that we recruited him to play. This is is where he's been starting the bulk of the matches for Phoenix rising. And you have other forwards such as Hearst and Tui sitting on the bench while Jai gets this start again, Repetto, not on the roster. So that's pretty interesting and notable about the lineup. Also missing from the roster is Ryan flood, who at one point was in a battle for the left-back starting spot with Babacar Jai. And it looks like in that battle, Joey Kalistri came out on top. Now, obviously, he's playing in that right back spot, which means Darnell King has slotted over to the left. So that's a little bit of a change that we've seen in recent weeks that stood for this match as well. Kalistri has been a great addition to the back line, and we've seen the overall defensive effort improve as this lineup has sort of solidified itself. Um, Only other thing I would note And I noted this last week, again, there's just very few changes to the roster from last week, but Rodriguez, again, sitting on the bench available for play. Now he's obviously not fully match fit, but in a midweek presser, Rick Shuntz talked about how... You know, Rodriguez is going to not only have to get fully fit, but he's also going to have to earn a spot in the midfield. You've got Aiden Quinn on fire. You've got Kevin Lambert on fire. And you've got some other key players who are doing pretty well, namely Luis Sejas, who we saw get the start this weekend last, as well as Donaciano, who was on the bench and would get some minutes in this match as well.
2: Awesome insights there, Kelly. Let's talk about Las Vegas for a second. I think it's hilarious that they have two goalkeepers that kind of share their time on the field um, with the the same last name, Romero. So (laughs) last night we were lucky enough to have or maybe unlucky enough to have Tomas Romero. And then their back four is the same back four that they've been putting out. Um, they've had their their two key players, key strikers, Cal Jennings and Daniel Trejo on the field last night. And there was there was no shortage of action for from those guys. Just want to yeah. mention about their formation. The first time we played them, they lined up in a four three three. Second time it was a four, two, three, one. Last night they changed. Up again playing a 4 1 4 1. And that's the first time this season that they've stepped on the field in that shape. So, how are you feeling about that lineup from Vegas?
0: You know, <laughs> speechless, you know, you're, you're torn a little bit because I do think Phoenix rising is is a position where we really need to accelerate the game. We need to become consistent and we need to start beating teams that we can beat. And you really want to beat Las Vegas's quote unquote best team. You know, that's what you need to do both to continue to build that momentum and that confidence, but also just to be the force to be reckoned with. So, you know, you kind of wish Cal Jennings wasn't available for the match, but you that's their real starting 11, if you will, as you mentioned. So there's some other formidable players. I mean, you mentioned their back line is a staple or has been for many of the games. And they've got some good players back there. Tony Leone is one of them. On the other side, Mohamed Traore, very good.
2: Yeah, Um, They were missing a player last night that's already scored in both of the games. Um, And his name is escaping me right now. mm. Peseta?
0: Quesada. Yep, Quesada. totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I guess we we got off there, but they've just got some quality players, not just Jennings, but obviously Trejo is a massive threat. And so is Frank DeRoma. I mean, he wears number 20. He's very short, reminds us of Solomon Asante when he played for us, also wearing number 20. And he's certainly not of that caliber, but he's really good. He's surprisingly good in the air. Uh, He's surprisingly good at defense based on his size and where he plays on the pitch. He will surprise you. He will intercept. And he did so on the evening.
2: Yeah, well, in the opening stages of the match, I loved what I saw from Phoenix. We were doing really well with the high press. As Vegas tried to play out from the back, we pressed, cut off their passing lanes, forced errors. When When we played out of the back, we looked strong and we were well able to get the ball to the midfield and to the forwards. So that was the way the game went, except when it didn't. And in the 10th <laughs> minute, we got a stiff wake-up call. Phoenix were attacking on the left side of the pitch when Darnell King lost control of the ball when trying to keep it in play close to the Vegas corner flag. The defender sent the ball up the line to one of his teammates, who quickly sent the ball into the Phoenix half, into the path of Vegas striker Cal Jennings. Jennings dribbled the ball into the area and was one-on-one with Phoenix's goalie Ben Lunt. Lunt timed his interception perfectly and was able to kick the ball away from Jennings. That was a
0: close one, Cal. It was a really close one. And like you said, it was the bucket of water over the head. You know, Phoenix was looking very organized, defensively, looking very strong. Right before this happened, I'd made a little note on my phone saying you can see the improved communication with Phoenix's back line. You can see the way they're gelling, They're moving as a unit. When one player goes up the pitch, you know, serving on offense such as King or Kalistri, you can see the others appropriately slot over and someone drop back to cover. I mean, it was looking great. However, playing together as a unit isn't enough. We also have to take care of these individuals and Cal Jennings is one of them. I mean, this is an example of someone that needs to be man-marked you can afford to do it. It's, it's terrible to lose someone just tracking a player, the whole match, but it really has to happen. Or you have to be extremely fast on those counterattacks. This is a quick break. Vegas is absolutely known for it. And he's just too wide open. Admittedly, it was a perfectly weighted ball to Jennings who is fast. You're in a foot race. You're not going to win. Luckily. He messes up. He just doesn't keep the ball close enough to him. He takes a couple of touches that are too far for him. And that's when Lunt comes out and does what Lunt does, makes huge saves. This is the first of the evening. But spoiler, by the end of the evening, he would remain on top of the standings for the entire conference with 80 saves. He's having a massive, massive season. This is an example of that. And it's great that the defense is largely shaping up to help him get these clean sheets.
2: Two minutes later, Vegas in the attack again in and around Phoenix's six box. This time, Cal Jennings crossed the ball to the other star on their team. That's Danny Trejo. Trejo took a shot from the right corner of the small box. He beat Ben Lunt, but this time, Darnell King was on the goal line and pulled off some serious acrobatics to block the ball and to kick it out of danger. What a fantastic move. Like, I yeah, just can't really believe was. that Darnell King <laughs> was in the right place at the right time and could move like that, Kelly.
0: I know. And a lot happened here. Now, in fairness, this is just an example of how, how really good some of their forwards are. I mean, Traore and, and Cal Jennings are both known for being exceptional in tight spaces. And if you're someone that's like, what does it mean to be good in tight spaces? That's kind of a soccer jargon. Watch this highlight. It happens at 1117 and you'll see exactly what it means. They have no room to work with. They're still able to control the ball. They're still able to get it to each other. So, you know, this was a little bit of a continuation. You said this was two minutes later. I'm pretty sure it was one minute later. Either way, it's a very short time span. Phoenix is still trying to figure out how to deal with these individuals. Again, as a unit, we're moving well, we're communicating well defensively. We just need to pick up these individuals and then, you know, they're great. So it's just kind of a perfect storm. If you watch King, he knows he needs to be the last man. He knows he needs to make a save off the line, but he slips. And then while going down, manages to find the strength with, you know, the one leg that was still under him to kind of propel himself (laughs) and get that kick save. It was beautiful. We needed it. And after this, Phoenix really picks up and starts um, to track better to close down these individuals on their front line.
2: Yeah. Uh, From here For the next 20 minutes, in my mind, it was anybody's game. Both sides had their chances, and one of the best came at around the 30th minute. J.J. Williams and Luis Sejas were attacking in the area when J.J. managed to get a shot off. It hit a defender, but the ball kept going for a split second. The Vegas goalie, Tomaso Romero, thought that he was beat, but he looked over his shoulder and he saw the ball had hit the left goalpost and bounced down. Needless to say, he snatched it up like a Vegas gambler snatching the elusive ace. Kelly, do you gamble and would you gamble on J.J. Williams?
0: I definitely do not gamble. I would, however, if I was a gambling woman, put my money on JJ Williams. You know, after this match, we find that JJ Williams is third in the league in terms of shots with 54 on the season. And I think this is just a good indication of why he's so high in the table. I mean, just like we talked about with King and the opposite end of the pitch, I don't know, it must've been slippery out there, but JJ Williams is going down and he still manages to really athletically use his feet to get a pass to Sejas. As he's falling, Sejas gets it back to him. J.J. Williams manages to regain his balance. Perfect touch. And then the shot. And this is what we're getting with J.J. Williams. You know, it's a hard shot taken off balance and it still goes to its target. That's what we want from him. We want him to be able to take hard shots, even when he's off balance. That's what Phoenix rising needs. Now also kudos, by the way, one pass back is Lambert with the perfect amount of English on this ball to get it into the mixer where he knows his teammates are going to make things happen.
1: Cool.
2: In the 44th minute, Kalistri and Santi Moore are on the right side of the park, close to the end line. Kalistri centers the ball, and after several touches, it goes to Aiden Quinn, who lobs it to J.J. Williams, who is his back to goal. In a spectacular move, J.J. swivels toward goal, volleys the ball, and puts it just a few feet over the bar. So although it was a difficult ball, on another day, I could see J.J. putting that away. What do you think, Kelly?
0: I thought it was beautiful. I mean, again, this is what we're getting with him. This is what we need from him. We've seen one move similar to this from Hearst and we talked about it for weeks. It was gorgeous. You know, he doesn't even need to settle this thing. He's just able to turn, shoot. He always knows. I mean, I've known the guy two matches now, but he seems to really know where the corners are. He really knows where the net is and he's just prepared to turn and shoot. It was kind of a la Solomon Asante, really, where you're like, You know, how did you get the ball that hard on target from backwards while swiveling? It was beautiful. Um, I think we also really saw with this one great communication up the right flank. We see Kalistri and Moar working really well together, all match. And I think that's something else that Kalistri brings to the pitch, to the team. He has great communication with Farrell. He's got great communication with the midfielders and he's got great communication and interchange with Moar. And I think that's really helping strengthen our play up the right side.
2: Nicely done, Kelly. Four minutes into stoppage time in the first half. Vegas attacker Danny Trejo is close to the Phoenix goal. He shows incredible skill to control the ball and sail past two, maybe three Phoenix defenders. He gets a shot off, but Ben Lunt is ready to show off his skills too and denies Danny Trejo a goal just before the halftime whistle. Kelly, nice moves from Danny
0: Trejo. Nice moves from Ben Lunt. Yeah. And you really hate for the other team to get kind of the final word of the half. Like at this point, the game is obviously tied at nil. It felt like Phoenix was the better team for me in the first half. We'll talk about some statistics a little bit, but we certainly dominated possession. And although Vegas had better chances, Phoenix, it felt like we had dominated that half. I don't know if the statistics bear that out, but as a fan you go with your intuition and yet something like this happening in, you know, 25 plus 3 or sorry, 45 minutes plus three is always a little alarming when they have just made a really good play. We've relied on our goalkeeper a little too much and then we all head into the tunnel. So it's a little unnerving, but again, you just can't deny the skills of Trejo. The best you can do is make saves and defend, but he's going to do his thing and sometimes it's just gorgeous. Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about those halftime stats. Sure, well, we had 55% possession It's nothing massive, but you can see Phoenix is really moving the ball around the pitch pretty effectively. We had 244 passes. That's a lovely number for a half. More importantly, we're seeing 88% accuracy as a team. That's really good. And I don't have the statistics on hand regarding what the percentage was a pass completion within the opponent's half, but it was really high. I think it was in the high 70s, which is great. We saw a lot of ball movement, certainly an interchange with our players in that final third. Unfortunately, Vegas has nine shots on goal to our eight and they have four on target to our one. So again, they have created better chances. They are more threatening in that final third. And we know this is because our finishing just isn't where it needs to be. We're still improving sort of, in that area of the pitch, which really needs to happen. Um, I do feel like starting from, you know, we talked about those two really threatening and dangerous plays at like the 10th and 11th minute, sort of from there, maybe around the 15th, all the way to like 40, 45, I felt like Phoenix was in control, was calm, was playing the game that they wanted to, minus the goal scoring. But You know, as I mentioned, Lunt dominates the league with saves and you just can't underestimate how much those saves are keeping the team above water, especially in this match. So
2: into the second half, how are you feeling about our prospects in the second half?
0: Feeling good, you know, especially because we've got... A situation right now with the team where the defense is continually improving, where you can feel their presence building. We have our midfield playing absolutely incredibly. So the problem remains kind of that final third, but we've got a bench that's stacked with players who are eager and are competing for minutes. So, you know, you're going to see some substitutions and your hope is just that the defense remains stout and we're able to make something happen offensively.
2: In the 64th minute, we're feeling like a goal is imminent. Luis Sejas has the ball close to the Vegas goal on the left side. He crosses the ball in front of goal. There's an opportunity for a header. JJ is directly in front of goal. He gets up, but doesn't get to it. But Kev Lambert is at the far post. He gets his head to the ball, but sends it just millimeters wide. He's shaking his head in disbelief. Should he have done better, Kelly? Should Sejas have, have done better? Could JJ have done better?
0: I mean, it didn't result in a goal, so you want to say yes, but really, I think no. Now, what you might not have noticed, Niall, if you were watching this kind of in the highlight reel, this was actually a set piece. And so I really like this because it shows an alternative to how we normally handle the set pieces rather than having Quinn just you know, score an Olympico, which would have been perfect. (laughs) Um, We see him pass it out to Sejas out of the 18. And so now he moves towards the corner and then he makes this cross. So it was a nice mix up. I think we had so many corners in the evening. You've got to keep the defense guessing. It allowed our players in the box to make some runs, make some longer runs, kind of change things up. You know, I think JJ did get his head on it. And so I think it was almost redirected before it got to Lambert, who was lucky to be in the right position. So, you know, maybe a better striker gets this in, but given the role that Lambert plays, I think he handled it really well. It was sad because Niall, you and I had just moved our seats a little bit. So we were like lined up right behind Kevin Lambert and like, it felt like it went in. So it was disappointing, but you kind of got that feeling, Hey, maybe it's imminent.
2: And there's plenty of action for the remainder of the game. Cozy Donaciano, Arturo Rodriguez, Greg Hurst, Richie Antwi. Happy birthday, Richie Antui! by the way. They're all subbed on. Should we times... say it? Go for it. Please do. <laughs> there are times when we're on the edge of our seats, but no attempts as good as the ones that we mentioned. So that brings us to the final whistle. The final score is nil all. Kelly, how did our defenders do on the night?
0: Overall, and I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but overall, I think they did pretty well. You know, I think we still need a better strategy for dealing with super threatening strikers. Obviously you're thinking every team has super threatening strikers, but they don't. Some are more slippery than others. And we're going to have an opportunity to try our hand at this next week against OC with Milano Lasky. So there's just, I personally think we need to do a little bit better man marking this extraordinarily dangerous players that we've had trouble with that are super quick. So could have been a little bit better there, but defensively, you know, Luke came up huge. I thought Musa, was fantastic on the evening. I thought Kalistri added a ton to the back line. And, you know, if you look at the clean sheets, we are now five games running. I think, I don't know, it's 255 minutes or something of a clean sheet. It's the second best in all of Phoenix Rising history. So that says a lot. And I mentioned Kalistri. I really just want to lift him up a little bit. He had a really difficult job containing Trejo. And I think he did spectacularly. The one highlight that we mentioned was the one time Trejo was really a threat. So overall, a great defensive effort. And let's give kudos as well to the rest of the team who did a great job playing defense and transitional defense.
2: Great. So let's bring it up to midfield. How did our midfielders do? And we've got to include in there the subs. Cozy Donaciano, I mentioned that he was subbed on. He came on in the 70th minute for Luis Sejas. So uh, that was our midfield. How do they do?
0: Yeah, I thought our starting midfielders were really, really good. We saw a ton of passes from Kevin Lambert. A ton, And I think he was at like 87% pass completion rate. Um, Same with Aiden Quinn I'm not looking at their stats right now But they both had a huge number of passes And Great job. I think after this match, I noticed that Aiden Quinn now leads the league in chances created after this match with 68. I mean, he is just consistently creating chances. We owe it to him to finish. I mean, he's one of the leading goal scorers on the team. He's the leading chance creator in the league. I mean, someone's got to help this guy out. And um, he also leads the league, by the way, in terms of Crosses by like a lot. I want to say he's 156. The second most is Justin Portillo for New Mexico with 135. So, anyway, the, I thought the entire midfield played really well. I thought they did a much better job closing down action in the midfield. In fact, if you look at the way Vegas played, you could really complement their defense, you could really complement their forwards. Um, But not much was happening for them in the midfield. I thought Phoenix owned that middle third. And that's a huge improvement from what we were seeing during our losing streak in terms of the substitutes. uh, I, you know, he definitely was the fresh legs that we needed. I felt like the whole team in that heat with the humidity started to deflate pretty early on. Luckily Vegas did too. I thought the whole game deflated a little bit. You know, we, we barely had any highlights to talk about in the second half. And I think that was why, so it was nice to see cozy come in and kind of, we kind of win some of those duels, but obviously no chances created from him.
2: Great. So let's move it up to the forwards. We started with Babacar Jai, Santi Moore and JJ Williams. But we ended with Arturo Rodriguez, Greg Hurst and Richmond Antwi. And Greg and Arturo, they came on the 58th minute and Richie came on in the 88th, 88th minute. So how did they all do?
0: They did pretty well. You know, you just can't say they did well without scoring and without the finishing. And I think you have to give some credit to Las vegas's defense, especially number three. I'm forgetting his name right now, Nile, Do you know it?
2: I look it up, keep Lory. okay
0: Um, you know, I think he did a really good job containing Moar, who is just getting more and more frustrated. I heard in the post-game interview, someone asked him, maybe it was Owen Evans, like. I don't know who it was. Just ask Rick Shantz, Hey, what happened to Moar? Did he get injured? I noticed he headed right into the tunnel. I have no idea. If I wanted to speculate, I would say, I think he's getting increasingly frustrated. He's unable to put it in the back of the net. He is trying so hard. He's switching sides, you know, him and Babakar just, they're trying everything, but it's not happening. And I think what they need to try harder is getting the ball to the feet of number 99, JJ Williams, and they struggled to do that. We all struggled to do that. You know, he is a target man, hit your target. So, you know, I think Moore had a difficult time with Traore and I think there's some frustration starting to break through. That's, that's never going to help. And, right. you know, he's going to have to find a way to reset. You mentioned the subs that came in. I thought Hearst did pretty well, especially considering the fact that he himself is used to playing in the number nine and he's being asked to play as a winger. Those are different skills, but yet his ball control and his vision does make him powerful on the wings. You know, I think it's really hard when you're being asked to fight for a spot that's not your normal spot. So I really tip my hat to him and I thought he did his best and he definitely has made some things happen from that position. I love Antwi. I love Antwi and I wish that he could get more time because he is a spark. He is so dominating. He is so strong. And, you know, maybe at some point we go back to a 4-4-2. I don't recommend that, but that's probably the only way we're going to see Antwi get a lot of minutes is if he's playing alongside JJ. But he played really impressively.
2: Okay, let's talk about the refereeing. Um, We don't love to bang on about the refereeing, but Mm -hmm. I thought he was a special individual last (laughs) night. He had a knack for killing our momentum.
0: Yeah, I just don't understand. I mean, he would call plays back. Like, why did he let them play on when, let's say... We had the advantage, but we also conceded the foul and then he'd bring it back. It was like, why did you let us play on if we were the ones conceded the foul? I mean, it's just it's almost like he didn't have a sense of what advantage meant, honestly, and when to allow the the play to continue. Yeah, I accidentally gave myself a really bad headache screaming at him. So, you know, (laughs) that's karma. (laughs) I should have kept it to myself. But it was unfortunate because. So much of soccer is momentum. You know, you need to keep feeling the feeling. You need to create the muscle memory. You need to keep in the zone. And he really was kind of destroying that. But I don't know. I don't know what to say.
2: Well, let's let's wrap this up, Kelly. Where does this put us in the standings?
0: So this does put us. I don't want to say this does because we only scored a point. So I don't think we did a whole lot to help ourselves, but we got extraordinarily lucky every single team above us lost or drew except for San Diego loyal who took points from San Antonio. So, I mean, honestly, we really couldn't have asked for better results from the rest of the league. It really helped with no one picking up more than one point except for San Diego. So that really helped that middle of the pack, which is what we're fighting for. We're now in ninth position. We have 29 points after 23 matches We are two points off LA Galaxy, who are in position number eight, and we're five points off the Las Vegas Lights, who are in position seven. So, you know, should we pick up some more points, which I sure hope we do, and some other upsets continue, you know, we certainly have a chance to get ourselves above that line.
2: Great. And what are your takeaways from this game?
0: Well, you would have loved to win. Especially knowing that Phoenix has never lost at home or has never not won at home to Las Vegas. So, you know, I do think the result as one takeaway shows that Phoenix has not reached the dominance and is not as fully formed as we need to be at this point in the season. This is the third time we played them. You know, we are well over the midpoint we really should be able to pick up the win. I think one of my takeaways is just that the clean sheets are continuing and that's really important. Secondarily, because Ben really deserves to pick up those clean sheets, but foremost and primarily because, you know, our, I think defense needs to be the engine of the team and our defense, you know, we're really reliant on building our attack from the back. So getting them into this better communication, getting them into a zone and, not conceding goals is really going to help us continue this trend. And so I think it was really important to acknowledge and to give them the kudos that they deserve. You know, other takeaways our Phoenix needs to make sure we continue to do the things well that we have been doing well, such as converting those corners. We had eight on the evening. Uh, one of those at least should have resulted in a goal. Um, But I do see some other improvements, you know, as I mentioned, the passing accuracy in the evening for the whole team was 86%. That's great. The midfield is improving. They're making those connections. They're helping advance the attack. So there is a lot, you know, there is absolutely a lot to take away. And I think we just need to continue doing what we're doing with a little bit of tweaks and a little bit of momentum shift. Individuals need to continue to step up. We have competition going in the forward line. We have competition going in the midfield. We've picked up some additional signings. So I, you know, you hate to say you're heading in the right direction as a conclusion, but I do feel that way. And I do think we're really close to getting within the playoff line. And that's what we're looking forward to. It's not going to get easier. Our next match is against Orange County in their house. That's always a struggle, but you just keep putting one foot in front of the other.
2: Phoenix Rising is not scheduled to play Las Vegas Lights again this season. However, we could meet them in the playoffs. There are rumors that for a variety of reasons, Las Vegas Lights might cease to exist after their 2022 season. If we don't see them again in the playoffs, and if the rumors are true, then we might never play Las Vegas Lights again. Kelly, would you miss them?
0: (laughs) I was holding back cheers when you were making that statement. I mean, (laughs) no, of course we wouldn't miss them. We don't like going to their stadium and we don't particularly enjoy visits from them. On the other hand, you want to be a dominant team. You want to be able to take down anyone. And to me, Vegas is one of those teams that you want to be able to take down. So I'm not really looking to get rid of any competition. That said, I never hope to see him again. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, thank you for coming on the show. It's great
2: talking football with you. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Listeners, please share this podcast on social media and with a friend and enjoy the rest of the show. Hi everyone, this is Brandon Keniston, goalkeeper with Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, I had the pleasure of chatting with longtime Phoenix Rising supporter Laura Richards a few days ago to talk about Phoenix Rising and to ask about her fan story. Laura is an awesome person. I'm so proud to know that there are people like her in our Phoenix Rising family. We had a laugh talking about the team, and it went a little something like this. Welcome to the Fan Experience of Phoenix Rising Supporters Podcast. You're a dedicated supporter of the team. You're acknowledged by the club as being one of the super fans, and you're here to tell us your origin story with Phoenix Rising. So Laura, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, I'd like to start out just to help to get to know you a little bit. So tell us what other teams you follow when you're not supporting Phoenix Rising.
3: I do have a love for Swansea City. They are my husband's home team club. uh, And I have also fallen in love with them and keep them dear to my heart.
2: Okay. Well, um, are they in the Premier League or the Championship League?
3: At this time, yes, they are in the Championship League. But we are going up this year. Mm -hmm. All right. This is
2: the magic year. All right. Yes. So you've got an interest in the game, obviously. Did you play?
3: I did. Um, Basically, since the time I was able to walk uh, with all my cousins and my dad and his friends, um, we would just kick the ball around super little. And then as I got older, I started to join leagues that didn't originally accommodate young ladies. Um, But as my father told me, you're out there and you've earned it, get it done. So I did.
2: That's so awesome. So did you did you play like in middle school and high school?
3: I did, actually. I continued the trend of loving uh, football as well as playing uh, through middle school, junior high, high school. I played in high school, and I even played a few years in college. Uh, but unfortunately, a an injury sidelined me, and so I had to retire my boots, hang my boots up. From playing in college and pursuing it further, but I've continued to love the game and and continue to to navigate and share my love for you know the sport and and uh, just support other women and other ladies and other young girls who follow in my footsteps.
2: That's so great. Where did you go to college?
3: I went to college at San Diego State University. Go Aztecs! And, uh <laughs> and it was a beautiful experience. Yeah, it was great.
2: Are they a good soccer team? They were there. They were when I was there.
3: (laughs) Actually, they still continue to do pretty well. Uh, The men's team is pretty popular. Uh, They've actually got a few titles, uh, the the women as well. So I think they've continued the trend of excellence as far as football goes.
2: Fantastic. Okay, let's talk about Phoenix Rising. So um, we're not doing so well. 10th place in the standings right now. More losses than wins. What do you think about how things have gone so far this season?
3: Well, we've definitely seen better days. Um, I know there's a lot of chatter online and in the stands in terms of uh, making changes uh, on the bench in terms of the coaching and that sort of thing uh, and in the front office. And, you know, it's easy to say, hey, he's not doing the job. We need to get rid of him. And I'm not going to say I don't agree with that. Uh, But what I will say is it was beautiful to see the guys coming together on the pitch last Saturday and really getting that deserved win. I will say it was one of our best performances that I've seen in years. Uh, Whether the coaching influenced that or didn't uh, is really not for me to say because I'm not a coach. Uh, I am a fan and I am a supporter and I do love the guys. And I think that Saturday was just a great performance and I'm hoping that they can repeat the same this coming weekend.
2: Yeah, that was the game against Colorado. And yes. it was spectacular. It was spectacular. It was great. Everybody just really stepped up in all, all areas of the pitch. It was fantastic. So are you as excited as you ever were about supporting Phoenix Rising, even though they're not doing well?
3: Absolutely. I think it's fair to say that when you are a fan or supporter, whichever term that you like to use – Because I know that there are definitely uh, some voices that like to say one is more important than the other, or one is more vital than the other. But I feel anybody who sits in those stands and cheers their heart out, whether it be in a group or as an individual, we all count. And at the end of the day, I feel that the players all know who loves them and who supports them, even through our dark and gloomy days. There are going to be days that we're just... Crap. It is what it is. Everybody has a crap day at the office. Sometimes you have a crap month at the office. But what's important is to keep showing up and keep doing your best and find a way to make a difference.
2: And it's kind of ironic that the worse the team do, the more they need us.
3: I feel that that's very true. That is, you couldn't have said it better, to be honest. I feel like they need our support more than ever. They need to know, as goofy as this may sound, they need to know they're loved. They need to know they're supported. They need to know that rain or shine, 115 degrees or monsoons, we're going to be sitting there and we're going to be cheering them on or standing there
0: and for we'll sure. be cheering
3: them on. Whether it's, in, and I I hate to take away from the, the folks that come out every weekend, but sometimes people, for whatever reason, can't leave their home or can't leave their job to make the game in person, but... I, find, I think and I hope that the guys know regardless, uh, everyone that says I love Phoenix Rising truly means that they love Phoenix Rising.
2: Well said, Laura. Let's talk about rivals. Who is Phoenix Rising's biggest rival?
3: Oh, you know, I think initially when I started following the team, um, it was very easy to say New Mexico was our rival because they were partly distanced. They they were just closest. But then again, I was like, wait a minute, isn't Las Vegas technically closer? I mean, it's a bit of a shorter drive, isn't it? I think. I think so. Um, yeah. So for me, I know a lot of folks really say New Mexico, uh, OC, I don't know where that came from, but I think it comes back from, uh, you know, those original playoff days and, and when we did not continue on uh, and I, I can see why OC was definitely a rival at that time. I think most, more recently, I would say San Diego has been a rival, uh, but I think that that's a very emotionally charged rival. Um, So, yeah, you know, I think any of those would probably fit the bill.
2: Laura, that's hilarious that you've actually put some serious thought into that because <laughs> I have as well. I've been thinking like what defines a rivalry? Is it the Correct. fact that there's on the other side of town, like Manchester United, Manchester city, right? or, you know, are there other factors and, you know, definitely in a, in a, an important match, like the Western conference final, where we played OC, you know, yep. huge. Absolutely. And, and New Mexico, And kind of the banter that we saw on social media between their fans and our fans, that all leads to rivalry. But I've kind of redefined it for myself. And when I look at all the teams in our conference, I kind of ask, I've asked myself who would I least want to lose to, you know, which, Mm -hmm. which team would it really hurt to lose to. Right. And Right now, I think it's San Diego I'm with you. it would really hurt yeah. to San Diego. I don't want to lose to them and they're doing so well
3: yeah <laughs> you know and I think but I think what fuels part of our uh, our individual thoughts on rivalry in terms of San Diego, New Mexico, OC is all that is there's been quite a little or quite a bit of, oh, here, take this guy, but we're going to take this guy. And so there's been that bit of exchange of, I guess you could say blood across, you know, those teams. So I think that really personalizes uh, what we consider to be a rival because we kind of go, wait a minute, that guy used to be Phoenix rising. Why is he playing with them? What's wrong with what? Like you almost take an offense. Like, like you're like your mate. Went and went out with your ex girlfriend. You're (laughs) like, hey, whoa, 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 bud! I thought you were my mate. Like, why are you with my old girl? You know. So I think there's a bit of that, and so in that, obviously, fueled on social media or the interactions between the fan bases, that definitely fuels to it. We used to have an OC Hate Week. But the last few times, we haven't had an OC hate week. So whose hate week are we are we pushing here? <laughs> Who are we supporting and not
2: supporting? <laughs> well, well, for you and me, it's San Diego hate week coming up here pretty soon.
3: Yes. Well, and, you know, hearkening back to my Swansea City affiliation, uh, there's a bit of a, a, a personal issue with Landon Donovan, Uh So that kind of feels part of that Swansea City, um, you know, like we we're Swansea City supporters and Phoenix Rising supporters and Landon Donovan is like this little, this little chess piece in the middle. And we're like, you little bugger, you know, (laughs) we're kind of like, oh buddy, you're not, you're not the bud for us.
2: so but that's what, a whole nother pod <laughs> okay but do tell me the connection between swansea and landon donovan
3: well uh, according to my husband <laughs> no i'm just teasing uh no uh well there was some my husband had shared with me at one point like hey look landon donovan uh had always said that he was part swansea owner and all this and that and then all of a sudden when he came to that first match at the pitch we were hollering at him. We we're like, hey, you know, Landon, Landon, you know, Swansea, blah, blah, blah. And he basically just denied us and we're like, Whoa, that was rude. Ooh, now all of a sudden right. you have no love for Swansea. All right then, dude. We got you. We oh, see wow. what you we see what cart you're peddling here. And right. so since then it's become a bit personal.
2: <laughs> okay, understandable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So do you remember the first time that you heard about Phoenix Rising?
3: Yes, going back to kind of our Swansea City affiliation, actually. Uh, there was a fan um, who was named, who's named Terrence, actually. And he's a state, what we call a stateside Jack, which is basically the, the stateside uh, supporters for the Jack Army. So Swansea City. And he and my husband had made friends over, of a Swansea Facebook or something like that. And he said, hey, you guys interested in coming out? So we went over to Terrence's house to watch the season opener for Swansea City season four years ago this weekend. And he said, hey, if you guys really love football and want to check out a local team, I can get you some bring a friend vouchers for Phoenix Rising. And we said, uh, heck yes. So we he ended up transferring us some ring-offend vouchers. So we ended up going to the game, which ended up being like a week and a half mm-hmm. later. And we've been addicted ever since.
2: Fantastic. So do you remember who played, who Phoenix Rising played?
3: Oh my gosh. You know, I we were just thinking about this the other day and I honestly can't remember who we played that game. Um, my husband might, but <laughs> I don't think I do.
2: Yeah, uh, it the... was
3: four years ago Exactly uh, this year. <laughs> It was like mid August, twenty eighteen. Um, gotcha. But yeah, it was it was just such an exhilarating game. Uh, it was so it was just so fun. The we sat in the south end because we had no idea where to sit in terms of like if you know we just knew it was general admission, so we just went out and sat in general admission. We ended up sitting uh, basically right on in the middle section where the banditos kind of were. And they were wonderful. They were completely amazing and accommodating. And my husband is telling me that we played the Portland Timbers 2. Okay. And the score was 4-1. <laughs> 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 Thank you for the assistance.
0: <laughs> That's amazing.
3: Oh, no, he's saying it wasn't, but that was the away game. It doesn't matter. Anywho, we won. It was amazing. It was great
2: brilliant brilliant okay so do you still um get tickets for the south end
3: no we actually sit on the north end uh we ended up moving from uh from the south end to the north end when we went to the new stadium so we no longer sit in the south end but we still have lots of friends over there so there's always you know um it takes a minute to get from one end to the other so we say hi to everybody
2: <laughs> awesome brilliant yeah. so was there a transition going from being somebody who went a couple of times to somebody who's you know invested in becoming a season ticket holder like you are
3: well i'm not gonna lie immediately after that game i contacted the ticket office and said hey look i'd love to finish out the season." and I'd love to put a deposit down for next season. And so we've basically not missed a game since, except for COVID. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah, so we were pretty much all in from the first game that we went to.
2: Amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so are you involved with any of the supporters groups?
3: Not anymore on a um, supporters group level, I guess you could say. Uh, Definitely friendly with everyone. Definitely say hi to folks. but no, I mean, other than like the football family that came out for a drink last night, uh, don't really do anything in terms of like making TIFOs or in a band circle or anything like that.
2: So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I know that the North End can start its own chance and can get loud. It's happened a few times this season. It has. <laughs> yeah. So how could the club improve the game day experience for the fans, Laura?
3: Well, you know, I think we kind of hark back to the uh, the first experiences we had with the club, like the players in pints, and I know they did something kind of similar um, to that maybe last season. Um, A lot of the stuff we've noticed is really geared to the East Valley, and I understand that there are some partnerships with clubs, or I should say, restaurants and bars in the East Valley, Um, but maybe. it would definitely help to at least have maybe something in the West side where we could kind of congregate or even just have it as an official, unofficial area or bar restaurant that, you know, acknowledges that Phoenix rising is part of the uh, Arizona sports landscape and can just kind of show us that local love, you know, awesome.
0: Yeah, right. that
3: that last shirt we got was all about local love, and and I'm sure that there's places that will be more than happy to to make us part of their, you know their their community campaign, as you might want to put it.
2: Awesome, great, Laura. Are away games important to you?
3: I would say so. Uh, we've only ever been to Vegas games, and we try to make it like an adults' fun weekend. Uh, but we did most recently take the kid, which was a lot of fun. So we did family things this time.
2: Awesome, fantastic. So do you have one special moment in your time as a supporter of Phoenix Rising that you'd like to share with us?
3: I was thinking about this and there's so many, uh, but I specifically wanna call out one of our um, now retired players, Zach Lubin. Uh, When we first started coming out, we were bringing our stepdaughter every game. And she absolutely fell in love with the team in the game, mostly because I think Zach was so accessible and she got his gloves for her birthday and he just made a point to always say hi to her and just, you know, he's just always been so present and accommodating to fans small and big and so i think that was really special to us and that really made us fall in love with the club uh, because we saw how the players were not just zach with my stepdaughter but there were so many special connections that we would see between players and and fans and supporters that it really made us feel like this is a family whether they come and go whether they retire are injured whatever uh, if if the fans are requesting two seconds of their time or one second of their time, they're, they're accommodating that way. And that was a really beautiful thing to have.
2: That's amazing. Um, Last questions for you are going to be about Phoenix Rising players. So do you have a current favorite on the Phoenix Rising squad?
3: I do. Um, I'm going to, you know, I have Aiden Quinn, actually. I think he's been my favorite, uh, Last season and this season,
2: and um, his in his last game with that Olympico. Oh, oh my, my God! God.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I I started crying. I was like, it was just incredible to see him uh, finally get that payoff. Yeah, because yeah. uh, I feel like, gosh, you know, there's so many guys. In fact, if I can't just say all of them, there's so many of them that have put so much into. Giving their all and giving their best on the pitch, and and really working hard uh, to get things going and and to get everything completed, and just to see that payoff for him, you could just see like the relief, the exhilaration, the the passion.
2: It was insane, absolutely. And I remember um, being there with Kelly, and our response was something similar. We were just quiet after the goal went in after the ball went in, we were just speechless. We were sitting there. So instead of us, you know, jumping 10 feet into the air and screaming our heads off, we were just looking at each other. Just shocked. It was amazing. Okay. How about a former Phoenix rising player?
3: You know, I really gave this a lot of thought because I couldn't come up with one name. (laughs) Honestly, I, I was like, Oh my God, who do I think of? Obviously Zach Lubin, um, Corey Whelan, uh, AJ Cochran, Jordan Schweitzer. Oh my God, Jordan, where did you go? (laughs) I miss him. I feel like he was just so amazing and he was just gone. And we're like, Oh no. And I hope he's doing well. I wish him well.
2: Me too. Uh, Me too. Yeah. Someone I'd like to give
3: some, yeah. Someone I'd like to give a little love to that. I feel like he gets recognition, but honestly, I feel like he's, kind of part of the glue of the team is kevin lambert
1: yeah yeah
3: he's he's man I, whenever i see him i'm just like dude you you're family like wherever you go whatever you do you're family like i don't, I don't know what else to tell you
2: <laughs> yeah and, and he's been with us for a long time now he and
3: has.
2: i'm really stunned yeah. every time i see him on the pitch just yeah. because he's so good. Why isn't he playing in the premier league?
3: <laughs> that honestly, yes. Yes. I think that too. And I, I, it's so funny that you say that. Cause I honestly, I, we're so so lucky to have him in the midst of our club. And, and I got to give the Joey's a shout out, you know, our Joey's are
2: amazing. <laughs> sure.
3: <laughs> and I, you know, it's funny. I know only one of them technically goes by Joey, but to me, they're the Joey's and I, and I love our Joeys.
2: <laughs> sure, sure. Joy Farrow and Vito, Uncle Joy Calistri. Yes, <laughs> Uncle Vito. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. You've really um, given me some happy moments here, Laura. I'm really appreciative you. of you coming on the pod and sharing your story with us today. So thank you so much.
3: Thank you. I appreciate you having me and I just want to say to our our club and our team that um, you know, we love you guys. We're going to stand with you uh, no matter what. Uh, even through the dark days, we're going to be there rooting you on because we love you and you're our community and you're our football family. And, and we thank you. We thank you so much.
2: Well said. Well said. Laura, thank you so much for coming on today.
3: Thank you for having me. It's been a it's been exciting. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I was super nervous. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it
1: was so much fun.
3: <laughs> Thank you.
1: How's it going guys? This is Daniel Orona
3: from Arizona Deportiva. You are listening to the fan experience.
2: Thanks family, John Morrissey, who goes by at USL Tactics on Twitter, joins us every week to bring us news and results from around the league. John, thanks for sticking around. Tell us about week 22 in the USL Championship.
1: Hey, happy to be back. Corey Herzog, the all- or rather second all-time leading goalscorer scorer in the USL Championship, uh, was released from Hartford under some very weird conditions. He was hinting that there maybe was something afoot but didn't get into it and was immediately snatched up by Union Omaha. Uh, the defending title runners-up in USL League One, so good for him to maybe get some minutes after a bit of a cursed stretch in Connecticut. That said, let's get to the pitch. Midweek, Memphis beat New York two to one. Uh, New York is in this funny run of form where they're not getting results certainly, but they put in some good games. Michael Knapp, uh, number 66 in their midfield, noticeable for his dreadlocks, is a really talented player. So if you end up watching a Red Bulls 2 game, I don't know why, but he's one that you should keep your eye on. Uh, that same day, in a much more exciting matchup, Sacramento got a comeback 2-1 win over New Mexico United. It was the first time they had featured their best 11s. It's that Open Cup victory uh, a week ago. Saturday was a full 12-game slate of action. Starting off, Pittsburgh took on the Indy 11 and got their third straight dub. Uh, They rotated their squad somewhat, three players who don't really start getting in the mix. Meanwhile, Indy hasn't won a game since June 4th and is in desperately poor form. They did add Robbie Dambro from Pittsburgh midweek. He's a fine defender, but he won't fix the tide for this team. Uh, In an unsexy matchup, to say the least, Loudon took on LA Galaxy 2. Uh, Galaxy 2, the real villains of the week, and they suffered maybe a karmic loss against Loudon, 2-0. The Galaxy certainly controlled play, but couldn't quite get it done, and now they're winless in 4. We had some action at the top of the East, however. Uh, Tampa Bay got a 1-0 win over visiting Detroit. And that was a friendly scoreline for Detroit City, who really couldn't get much going in terms of their offense. Tampa made a really interesting switch at halftime to take off the forward and then invert winger Sebastian Dalgard, and it opened up the game to get them that go-ahead goal. Elsewhere, Louisville beat Charleston four to one. The battery actually went up one-nothing, but Louisville was never going to lose this game. Uh, So Tampa Bay and Louisville are top two in the East right now, and they'll be facing off next weekend in one of the biggest games of the USL calendar, really. Uh, In a less exciting game, Birmingham absolutely dominated Atlanta, six goals to nil. They were at 4-0 by the end of the first half. They scored about 75 seconds in. You got the sense the whole time that Atlanta was missing Robbie Burns, who they sold off to Pittsburgh a few weeks back. Uh, Four out of five wins for the Legion, who are really rolling at this time. Uh, Speaking of Eastern teams that are rolling with four wins and five, Memphis got a 3-1 to win over Hartford. That was a two-win week for them. Aaron Malloy is a player that you should keep your eye on if you watch a Memphis game. Number six in the midfield, acquired from forward Madison of League One this offseason. He's a brilliant creator, really good passer. Uh, on the other side for Hartford, Prince Sadie got a goal, so something I guess you can have cheer for from the Phoenix perspective. One of the better wins of the weekend saw Miami go down to New Mexico United and get a 3 to nothing victory, somewhat surprisingly. Uh, Miami is a team with so much offensive talent that they've not quite made a click, and this was the point where it clicked. The real game-changing move was Joaquin Rivas, Salvadoran international. And typically a forward or a striker, uh, deployed at wing back, and he was excellent, providing that little bit of extra burst with his late running. The best wing win of the weekend, certainly, though, was San Diego Boyle getting a three to nothing margin over first place San Antonio. It was a solid defensive game from both sides, really, for about 60 minutes. Uh, San Diego turned things when they brought on Kyle Vassel, their start striker acquisition. He's not started a game in a couple of weeks. uh, There was that fight, the red card, a little bit of an injury knock, but he was fantastic. He added a lot of gravity in the box. And when San Antonio is trailing and has to really put their foot forward offensively, they're a bit vulnerable. So that's something to watch down the stretch, I think. Uh, One of the more wild games of the weekend saw Orange County draw 3-3 with Colorado Springs. Golden Boot leader Milan Alaski wasn't in the lineup for Orange County, but his brother, Brian Alaski, a long-term member of Orange County, uh, returned to get the start. And the side looked really solid defensively for about 80 minutes. Colorado Springs brought on an extra striker in late and changed shapes. They got a number of set pieces and ultimately just wore Orange County down. Orange County remains last place. Um, and they are passed by Monterey Bay FC, who, would you believe it, have four wins in their last five games. They've got two games in hand on basically everybody, and they're only seven points back of the playoffs, improbably. They got that one nothing win over El Paso this weekend. And it has to be said, El Paso doubled their shots. Uh, they were just unlucky enough to get the result, and that's sort of a theme for the locomotive at this point. They've lost four straight games, and they're really dragged down in the thick of the playoff race. To wrap up the weekend, though, we had a late one that saw Sacramento take on Rio Grande Valley, the Toros visiting California in this case. Uh, the game was decided with a late Rodrigo Lopez header for the Republic. Now, Lopez is in his 30s. He's a veteran player. And this is the first time, according to Opta data, that he has ever scored a headed goal. By my own stats, this is just the third header he's won in the 2022 season. So a bit of magic and added time to get Sacramento that result. They're sitting pretty for playoff spots and the Toros desperately, desperately need a win. But that's the run of things as it stands. Certainly a busy week. Again, watch that Orange County uh, stadium situation for sure, but happy to be back and recapping as ever.
2: It's always fun with you around, John. Thank you so much. And we look forward to hearing from you next week.
3: Hey, this is Ray Samora for the Orange and Black Soccer Cast, and you're listening to The Fan Experience.
2: Our next game is away to Orange County on Friday the 12th of August. If you're going to that game, have a blast. Orange County Stadium is beautiful, and we've all got lots of happy memories of games there. We'll preview the Orange County game in a minute, but before we do it's a good idea to check in on where we are in the standings. We're in 9th place up from 10th place last week and up from 11th the previous week. In order for us to make the playoffs, we'll need to get back to our winning ways and we're relying on the teams around us basically to not do so well. Specifically, we're hoping for a draw on Wednesday when San Diego hosts Monterey Bay and on Friday when Colorado hosts El Paso. As an FYI, we'll play El Paso in our next game. We don't want them to be on good form. On Saturday we're looking for Detroit to beat Oakland and for San Antonio to beat Las Vegas Lights and lastly for Monterey Bay to tie with Sacramento. Okay, back to our game against Orange County. We played them here in Phoenix on July 2nd. That game ended with a 2 0 draw. It was in week 17 and it was our first draw of the entire season. Since then, we've played six games with four of them ending in a draw. Our goals in that match came from an own goal, which was forced by our captain Darnell King, and a Rocket, a Richie Rocket at the death from super sub Richmond Antwee. Before I go any deeper, I need to extend a huge huge thanks to John Morrissey, Laura Richards and Kelly McCarthy for being with me on the show today. Episode 68 of the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising Supporters podcast. Both Phoenix and Orange County have 10 losses. Phoenix have 8 wins, they have 5. Phoenix have 5 draws, they have 8. Phoenix were in 9th place in the standings with 29 points, while OC are in 13th place, last in the standings, with 23 points. If you enjoyed this podcast, please spread the word by sharing this episode with a friend. It would mean the world to us. If you see us on Twitter or Facebook, give us a like and a retweet. And can you take a minute to give us a five-star rating on your podcasting platform? We'd really appreciate it. Okay, let's get back to that game preview. The game against Orange County in Orange County. As far as form goes Phoenix haven't lost a game since July 9th, that was a loss to Memphis in Memphis. We've had 5 games since then, 4 nil all draws and 1 win, a big win, 4-0 win over Colorado Springs. Our rivals Orange County have 1 win, 2 losses and 1 draw in their last 5 games. They beat Los Dos 5-2 and I hate to say it but we lost to Los Dos 3-0 the last time we played them. Orange County have changed formation a lot this season. They play either three or four at the back, but the time they beat LA, they had five at the back. So who knows what they're going to look like on Friday night. Former rising player Ivan Gutierrez is now with Orange County, but in nine appearances, he's only started twice. So look for him to come on in the second half. OC have been plagued by injuries this season, including their goalkeeper, Patrick Rakowski. He's back from injury, and he played in last week's game, where they drew 3-0 with Colorado. Milan Oloski is 23 years old. He's a player to watch for. He wears the number 7 jersey, and he's got 16 goals in the season. He's the top goal scorer in the season, he plays either in the midfield or as a forward. He's one of these players that has a knack for scoring, he can score from anywhere in or around the area, so he needs someone marking him at all times. As I mentioned, he has 16 goals, he averages 3 shots per game and converts 23% of those shots. By comparison, our top goal scorer is JJ Williams, he's got 10 goals, 2.6 shots per game with a 16% conversion rate. One of the key differences between Milan Oloski and J.J. Williams is that J.J. is superb in the air, while Milan Oloski simply isn't. He plays on the left side of the park, so Joey Kalister or Darnell King will need to be on their best form to t- take to take him out of the game. Other players to watch for are Eric Torres, he's got nine goals, and Sean O'Colly, he's got five this podcast comes out every tuesday subscribe and follow to make sure you don't miss an episode the game in orange county kicks off on friday at 7 p.m mountain standard time aka phoenix time and if we win this game we could move up one position to eighth place in the standings that would put us just outside the playoff bracket if we lose then oc would narrow the gap we don't want oc on our heels so let's get behind our boys with a really loud go rising it has to be really loud or else they won't hear you all the way over there in Orange County. I'm going to count us in. Three, two, one, go rezzing! No, seriously, louder. We're going to have to do that again. The boys need to hear us. Three, two, one,
0: go rezzing!